Good morning, everyone. It is good to be here with you today. Welcome to the online community as well, and pray that uh, the Word of God touches your heart this morning and indeed blesses you. You know, baptism is one of those significant gifts that the Christian church brings to the world, and there are many things that transpire in baptism. One of them is the gift of the Holy Spirit to create faith and sustain faith and encourage us and walk us through challenging times and magnify our joys. And I don't know about you, but over the course of the last week, it's been a bit of a challenging time in my life and in this country and around the world with Charlottesville and Barcelona and other tragedies that have occurred. And this is a time for us as a church body to turn to the Lord. Now, Pastor Ryan's going to be talking more about this next week, but I at least wanted to lay a foundation by drawing us into scripture and by taking a moment of prayer so that we can rest our hearts fully and completely on the Lord. So what I want to invite you to do is to just bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm going to read a couple of passages of scripture and then I'm going to pray for us and ask the Holy Spirit to strengthen us and encourage us in this time of challenge for our country, for the world, and maybe in your personal lives as well. Would you please bow your heads with me? From the book of Matthew, hear these words. Let them roll over your heart. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, these are the words of Jesus, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just And on the unjust. And then from Galatians in the third chapter there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. Father, we ask that in the power of your Holy Spirit you would minister to those who are walking through the tragedies of this past week, and we ask, Heavenly Father, that you would give us as Christians, the opportunity to be light in the midst of darkness. That can only happen by your Holy Spirit. And so we pray that your Holy Spirit would move mightily in each of us as we live life according to you and to your will. Come Holy Spirit, we pray it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And God's people said, amen, amen. So uh, how many of you are familiar with the game Imagine If? Imagine If. Imagine If is a game that is all about word association and intellectual stimulation. And it kind of works this way. Um, Imagine if Pastor Ryan, the senior pastor here at Hosanna, were a vehicle. Let's imagine if he were a vehicle. If Pastor Ryan were a vehicle, would he be a race car, feel the need, the need for speed, that kind of guy? Would he be a 1974 pickup? Would he be a new Tesla Would he be a smart car or would he be a minivan? Now, he he may not want to admit this, and most pastors don't, but we're kind of minivan people. We really are, right? We we just are. We're practical. We're family-oriented. And we want to get as many people as possible from point A to point B. But there would be something unique about Pastor Ryan's minivan, and it would probably look like this because he's such a Seattle Seahawks fan. (laughs) All right, now, how about Pastor Jared? If Pastor Jared were an animal, what kind of animal would he be? Let's take a look. Would he be a lion? 
would he be an owl? <laughs> Are you claiming lion, Pastor Jared? <laughs> would he be a sea otter? Would he be a cow? Or would he be a Jeronook? You might be going, what is a Jeronook? Well, this is a Jeronook. <laughs> Clearly, he would be a Jeronook. Look at the similarities. I mean... <laughs> Clearly a Jeronach. <laughs> All right, now that I've got your imagination stimulated a little bit, how about this? Imagine if you lived in a neighborhood with hundreds of houses, but nobody actually owned a house. And anybody could use any house they wanted for whatever purpose they chose. How would you feel? Would you feel confused? Jealous, relieved, limited, or free? How would you feel? You're in a neighborhood, hundreds of houses, but nobody actually owns a house, and you can use any house as you choose. We live in a country, and we have a belief system where the whole idea of freedom is undergirded by the fundamental assumption of ownership. And what we're going to see in just a moment is that it is part of our persona, how we live, but it is also part of God's foundational character. And if it is part of our persona and God's foundational character, then honoring ownership is absolutely essential for how we live our lives. You guys have been in a teaching series over the past few weeks entitled The Field Guide for Life where you've been looking at the Ten Commandments. And today's commandment we're going to explore is thou shalt not steal, or as the message translation puts it, no stealing. And the goal of these commandments is not to put us down, not to set undue limits in our life, but the goal of these commandments is to give us a full life, a free life. A life where we can engage the world in new and constructive ways. That's the whole idea around these commandments. If you've got a Bible with you today, I want to invite you to open up to the book of Deuteronomy in the fifth chapter, Deuteronomy 5, verse 33. Deuteronomy 5, verse 33. And what you'll find there is a passage that really allows us to engage this conversation in a very, very constructive manner. Deuteronomy 5, 33. Here's what it says. Stay on the path that the Lord your God has commanded you to follow. Then you will live long and prosperous lives in the land you are about to enter and occupy. Now, if you've got your Bible open, go ahead and circle or underline that word occupy. And what I'd like you to do is to write in the margin of your Bible this little phrase. Our God is a God of ownership. Our God is a God of ownership. You can see that throughout Scripture. From cover to cover in Scripture, we understand God as a God of ownership. Let me just point you to one place really quickly. This comes from Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's. The earth is the Lord's. The earth is the Lord's. And all its fullness the world, and all those who dwell therein. Our God is a God of ownership. 
Let's mine this just a little bit further, shall we? Our God is a God of ownership. And as a God of ownership, one of the things that we don't recognize all that often is that the very first physical act of sin was actually sin against God's ownership. Turn with me back to the book of Genesis in the second chapter, verses 15 through 17 set this up. Now, prior to this, there is sin in the heart, the, the sin of desire. Prior to the, or after this, there is sin of the tongue. But what we see is the first physical act of sin is a violation of ownership. Here's the setup. Genesis 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. The owner, God, sets the boundaries on what God owns. That's what ownership means. Ownership means that we get to set boundaries around how something is utilized. And then what takes place? We all know the story. The serpent comes in, Satan comes in, and starts manipulating the mindset of Adam and Eve. And ultimately, what Eve does is that she violates God's boundaries. She violates God's ownership. She reaches her hand up and she takes from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil exactly what God told them not to do. She stole the fruit. Have you ever thought about the very first physical act of sin being a violation of the commandment, you shall not steal? But indeed, that is what happened. Now let's dig this into this just a little bit further because Jesus speaks to this issue as well. And, and one of the things that we begin to recognize when Jesus speaks to this issue is that part of Satan's tactic in life is to get us to violate ownership against other people and against God our Father. And Jesus speaks to the same thing. Turn with me to John's Gospel in the 10th chapter. John's gospel in the 10th chapter, Jesus places himself in the position of the good shepherd, and the good shepherd has some sheep. And here's what he says, John 10, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. That's ownership. These are my sheep, and my sheep know me. Jesus is in a position of ownership. This is his flock. And then he goes on to describe the thief who represents Satan. And Satan does three things. Number one, he steals. Number two, he kills. Number three, he destroys. Satan works to violate God's ownership, and Satan seeks to manipulate our mindset so that we violate God's ownership and the ownership of other people as well. But, but what's really so crazy here, and this is something that many of us don't fully grasp, is that whenever something physical is stolen, there's a whole lot more that is stolen as well. Again, if you go back to the story of Adam and Eve in the garden, Eve reaches up and takes something she was not supposed to take. She steals it. And in that act of stealing, there's a physical component to it. But think about the things that were stolen alongside of that one physical act. Relationship was stolen. 
Time was stolen. Integrity was stolen. Value was stolen. Their future was stolen. All of those things were taken while this property was taken when she shouldn't have. Now, for those of you who have had something stolen from your life, you recognize what I'm saying. Because there's a sense of internal violation that transpires that is very difficult to deal with at times. There's a, there's a, there's a new hesitation that comes about. There's an anger, there's frustration, there's time that has to be given. Um, last year, about a year and a half ago, actually, I was doing some work down in Southern California. And I went to this great Starbucks restaurant just north of Laguna Beach, overlooking the ocean. It's just a beautiful scene. I had a bunch of writing to do, and I'm sitting there, and I'm peaceful. I'm drinking my cappuccino, and life is good. I'm telling you, it is good. And I decide to open up my bank account to take a look and see if a couple of deposits have been made. And so I open up the bank account, and right at the very top of the bank account is a large charge to Target. Now, I have to be honest with you that the very first thought that ran through my mind was a not-so-constructive view of my wife. (laughs) I just got to be honest with you. And so I did what any Christian man would do. I sent her off a snarky little text message, (laughs) and I said, so how's the new table with one of those little sassy emoticons on the side? And she sends me a note back, and she says, what are you talking about? And I went, well, didn't you buy a table from Target? She went, no, I didn't buy a table from... Can I have that text message back, please? We had had our account broken into. And the next thing you know, I'm spending time and energy and resources. And we lost relationship we had to sit down, and she was wondering why I thought she would do something like that. And, and we had to work through all of that stuff. You see, when something physical is stolen, there's a whole lot of other stuff that gets stolen as well. It's a powerful thing to think about, isn't it? And, and it happens because of this. And I want you to hear this. I want you to understand it. I want you to place it deep in your heart. That ownership is not just a characteristic of God, it is part of God's very character. And so when we violate ownership, we don't just violate a commandment, we violate God's character. We violate his character. So the question then becomes, what what do we do with this? Well, we've got this understanding of ownership in our lives. We've got this understanding of ownership not just being about about property, but about being character. How in the world do we deal with this in a constructive way? And there's a couple of things that I want to set down at, at the very foundation of this. Since this is about God's character and God always has our best uh, interest in mind, we need to recognize a couple of things. That ownership, ownership, is essential for free and prosperous living. And ownership is essential for free and generous giving. It is essential for both of those things. This is how Jesus lived. 
Jesus lived his life with this understanding. And one of the ways I like to illustrate this is to illustrate it with our hands. Jesus lived an open-handed life. And it is an open-handed life because it is only with an open hand that we can fully receive God's blessing. And it is only with an open hand that we can fully give God's blessing. But man, there's so many of us who live closed-handed around our property, around our lives, around our resources. And I'm telling you what, church, if you're living a closed-handed life, God cannot give you the blessing that he yearns to give you, and you will always struggle with giving blessing into the lives of others. You will always struggle with it. So my question to you today is this. If you were to describe your life, would you describe your life as closed or open? Martin Luther um, uh, wrote a book called The Small Catechism, and it was a book that was there for families to grow in faith. And when he took a look at the meaning of this commandment, thou shalt not steal, he incorporated these ideas. Now, this is the anniversary year of the Reformation. Uh, This is 1,500 years after the time that Jesus died on the cross. And, And Luther is thinking through this commandment through the lens of Jesus. And he's asking a deep and provocative set of questions. And he recognizes the difference between a closed-handed life and an open-handed life. And so here's what he writes for the meaning. He says this, We should fear and love God that we may neither take our neighbor's money or property nor get them by false wear or dealing but instead help to improve and protect their property and income that their means are preserved and that their condition is improved. Think about that, that their condition is, that's open-handed living. Pastor Ryan rewrote this meaning, and here's the way he puts it. Our wealth and possessions are resources we have been given to increase the condition and value of other people's lives. That's open-handed living. See, what, what Luther understood and what Jesus understood is that for every no, there is a yes. And the no of stealing promotes a yes of stewarding. With every no, there is a yes. And more than that, Luther and Jesus understood that when it comes to this idea of ownership, that we are to live the two great commandments in the context of this idea of ownership, to love God and to love our neighbor. To love God and to love our neighbor. We, we actually are co-owners with God because the reality is this, from the perspective of being a Christian, I recognize that God owns everything, but from the perspective of the world, I own something. And so I have to live that out on a day-to-day basis. And the truth of the matter is that you can't give what you don't own. You can't give what you don't own. And maybe that's where just a little bit of an upgrade or a little bit of growth is needed for all of us, is this recognition that with a no comes a yes, and that we are co-owners with God. I, I was doing some research for this message a few weeks ago. I came across a great little cartoon, and it was St. Peter 
introducing Steve Jobs to Moses in the heavenly kingdom. And St. Peter says, Moses, meet Steve. He's here to upgrade your tablets. <laughs> I know, it's sick. But, but let's be honest, there's, there's a negative side to that cartoon and a positive side. Now, the negative side is this, that we live in a culture that has sought to upgrade Moses' tablets by casting them aside and reshaping them to fit our cultural want, our cultural need. As followers of Jesus, that's not how we're to approach them. As followers of Jesus, we hold the commandments of God, but we look at them through the lens of Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and our Savior. We look at them with grace in mind. We look at them with understanding in mind. We look at them with with compassion in mind. We look at them through the lens of of being open-handed in our living and generous in our giving because one of the things that we have to grasp in our life on a day-to-day basis is that for every no we encounter, and in these commandments there are no's, for every no we encounter there are an infinite number of yeses. No living promotes this kind of living. Yes, living promotes this kind of living. For every no, there are an infinite number of yeses. Think about for just a moment what the yeses that Adam and Eve had in the context of that garden. Think of it for just a moment. Here they are in the Garden of Eden, and there's a single no. And outside of that single no, there are an infinite number of yeses. An infinite number of yeses. Yes, you can walk any path you want. Yes, you can swim in the river. Yes, you can hold hands and develop relationship. Yes, you can till the garden. Yes, you can do. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Friends, there are an infinite number of yeses to the no's that God brings into our life. And coming to grasp that reality is vitally important for open-handed living. There's a great example of this, and it's found in the book of Acts. If you've got your Bible open, turn with me to the book of Acts in the second chapter. Book of Acts in the second chapter. And then I want to bring you to three things that we're invited to consider. Imagine ifs. We're invited to consider. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. Now, this doesn't mean ownership. They own things commonly. This means that they had common purpose, common direction. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. They owned things, and they continued to own things, and they used those things for God's purpose. And here's the outcome, and this is such a grand outcome. It's a beautiful outcome. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That is the power of open-handed living. That is the power of open-handed living. Now, it's certainly the case that how they dealt with property wasn't a, sign- wasn't a point of conversion for everybody, but people recognized that they dealt with property differently. So let's just imagine if. Let's imagine if something. Let's imagine if we did three things. Number one, that we were committed to a life 
of real co-ownership with God. And we understood that in the very depth of our heart. Let's imagine if, as co-owners with God, we would commit to this next thing. As co-owners with God, imagine if we committed to a mindset of abundance. A mindset of scarcity calls us to close our hand. A mindset of abundance invites us to open it. And as people who are following Jesus, who are committed to co-ownership, who are committed to a mindset of abundance, imagine if we did this. Imagine if we committed to a lifestyle of yes to open-handed living. Imagine if we all did that. Yes, I'm going to live my life in an open-handed fashion. You see, this is the heart of God. This is what God brought to this world in the person of Jesus Christ, who lived his life in an open-handed fashion for you. And God's heart, God's heart literally is the anecdote for stuff owning us in our life because that's the propensity that we have is for stuff to own us, not for us to own stuff and to deal with it constructively. Now, I I recognize that this is a challenge for many people. And as I've talked with folks about this issue, about this open-handed living idea, They've come back to me and said, but, but you know, how, how will I be able to pay my bills? How will, how will I get what I want? How, how can I function this way? How can I live in an open-handed fashion? How can I do this? This is not something that we can do in our flesh. This is about Christ living in us. And so I bring them back to a favorite passage of mine, Galatians 2.20. And Galatians 2.20, let me read it for you, says this. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And whenever I am struggling with something like this, whenever I am struggling with a worldly element, I come back to this passage and I ask two very straightforward questions. The first is this, have I? Have I been crucified with Christ? Have you? Have you been crucified with Christ? And then I ask the second question. And the second question is, does he? Does he really live in me? Does he live in you? Have you been crucified with Christ? Does he live in you? Because if that's the case, then the second part of this passage is true for you. And let me just bring you back to it. Then the life you live in the body, you live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. It's open-handed living. It's the way the Lord lived, even become obedient to opening his hands to the point of death, death on the cross. It's what he's done for you. And that's what he invites you to each and every day of your life. As we close, um, I want to invite you to, to sing a great song. It's called Christ is Enough.
And as we prepare to engage in that proclamation, I'd like to invite you to stand. So if you would, just please stand with me. And then if you would be so kind, for those of you who desire, I'd like to invite you to just place your hands out in front of you and close your hands into a fist. Now let's pray. Father, because of our sinful condition, we are a closed-handed people. But you have invited us to something completely new, completely transformative. You've asked us to open our hands just as Christ did for us. If the Spirit's moving in you today to open your hands, would you please just do that? Open your hands, palm up, because it is there where you can receive the blessing of God and it is there where you can give all that God commands us to give. So Father, I pray for those who are here today who have been holding on to things in the past, who've been holding on to property, who've been holding on to resentment, who've been holding on to anything that has kept them from fully engaging you and your will. And I ask, Heavenly Father, that in your grace and in your mercy, you would take now all of those things and replace them with a blessing, with a divine point of abundance, with a divine sense of security. I ask, Heavenly Father, that you would pour into the lives of those who are here today in the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, because we recognize that we simply cannot do what you ask us to do on our own. We need your Holy Spirit, God. So send your Holy Spirit, and we are here open to receive your Spirit. And we recognize that as the Holy Spirit pours into us, that Christ is enough for us. Christ is absolutely enough for us. And so Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our God, come into our heart today. Remind us of the significance of ownership. Ownership in living as a free Christian, freedom in this society, and honoring ownership for our neighbor by blessing them and encouraging them with all that you have given us. We pray it in the name of Jesus, who is our Lord and is our Savior. Friends, let's sing from our heart the proclamation that Christ is enough.